The title of the message is The Devil's Last Throw. I'm getting this title out of Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus was teaching and all of a sudden a father with a son came up to Jesus and the son was having seizures and attacks but they weren't biologically motivated they were spiritually motivated he was possessed by the devil and the father did not know what to do he was completely desperate and so he came to Jesus and as the boy was per- walking towards Jesus The devil picked him up and threw him to the ground. It was almost as if the devil took one last desperate attempt to keep him from coming to the Lord. Many of us know people like that. We've been married to someone, we're married to somebody who no longer walks with the Lord, but there was a point in their life where they were doing so well. We know someone in our family, a child, a child of ours, uh, a father, a mother, even though they're older than us, where they were doing so well with the Lord at one point in their life, and then all of a sudden there was this throw there was this moment where everything just crumbled and that's what the enemy did to this young boy it was like you are closer than you've ever been to a miracle this is my last attempt to throw and hopefully the boy would just crawl away from Jesus hopefully the father will freak out and grab his son and run away because most people run from the Lord when things get bad Most people stop coming to church when life gets tough. And this was the last throw. I have seen this countless times, but I've never seen it more in the last six months than in any six-month period of my life. Like you, I have about almost 10 to 12 close friends. And I say like you because it's not just my world. Close friends that are casualties at this moment. I have friends that have been in the ministry longer than me that are not in the ministry right now. I have friends who are worship leaders that you have listened to their songs on the radio and I don't know where they are right now. I have no clue. There are casualties after casualties, friends that have been married for years that are separating from their wife. I'm thinking about one right now. They've been married for 20-something years within the last few weeks. The heightened sensitivity to offenses are at an all-time high. I was talking to Dr. Randy Clark, who I say his name because many of you know that he's a mentor in my life. He's 71 years old. And he said to me, he goes, I have not seen racial tension like this since the 1960s. It was 60 years ago. How can... The racial segregation, how can we be doing well and then all of a sudden be doing terrible? How can 
our barrel of oil be so strong and our economy of our country be going so good and then just like that, it's going terrible. How can at the very same time COVID-19 breaks out? In the office during the week, our staff looks at each other and we say, okay, now what chapter of Revelations are we in? Like... I went to a Mexican restaurant last night. I sat down. I was by myself. I had just gotten home from the airport. I flew in from Atlanta, which I'm going to come back to that in a minute. I sit down in the restaurant. I'm eating by myself. And this lady turns around. And I love Texas because nobody has ever met a stranger. And this lady turns around. She's with another lady. And they're having dinner together. They're both in, I'm just going to guess, 60s. She turns around. And she goes, so how are you handling this covid I was like, hi, my name is Frankie. <laughs> I said, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing all right. And she goes, look, I'm not going to try to preach at you right now, but this is all up in Revelations chapter 12. I was like, all right, I'll take it to go. <laughs> this is all up in Revelations chapter 12. I'm like, okay, all right, great. Look. We can all clearly see that we've never lived in a world like this, ever. If you agree with that, would you say yes? yes. Come on, let me hear you. Say yes. yes. Some of you have had happy marriages your whole life, and then all of a sudden you're looking around, and you're like, what in the world's going on here? It's the devil's last throw. I have three primary points that represent how the devil throws us or attempts to throw us. The three primary points, if you're a linear thinker, let me just get, walk you through what they're going to be. The first one is temptations. The second one is anger. And the third one is spiritual indifference. The first one, temptations. If the devil, if Satan can get you to unleash your passions, he can control your destiny. The, the passions, the passions of our flesh have to be on a leash. David said, I have put the lusts within me to sleep. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, it says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child, I reasoned as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it says, run from your youthful lusts. Run, run, run. Why is the passion there? Why does it say run? It doesn't say stand up against it. It says run. Why? Because if these lusts, if these passions get off a leash, if they wake up within us, the enemy is now dictating our future. You said, Frankie, that's, it's so interesting right now because I've never been blasted on Facebook more in my life than the past 60 days. If I don't say anything, I get blasted. If I say something, I get blasted. So I got to pick who, which side do I want to blast me? I mean, that's where it's at. But don't feel bad for me because all of y'all been blasted too. Raise your hand if you've been blasted in the last 60 days. Look at this. This is crazy. It's crazy. What am I talking about? 
blast it. <laughs> we got the, the, the temptation to revert back to our sins. Noah just survived the flood. And what does he do? He breathes and he gets plastered drunk. David wins battle after battle, decides to take a break and has an affair. How do you go from doing so well to instantly unraveling? It's when you take those passions and let them off the leash and all of a sudden the enemy takes the wheel. Somebody needs to write a country song. So the first one is passions. That's how he takes and throws. And it's unique for everybody. One person has a passion for porn. The other person hasn't seen porn their entire life. Another person, if you just set alcohol there, they're going to get plastered. Just looking at it, they get plastered. Another person, if you look at them cross-eyed, they're going to go ballistic. Have you ever met somebody that can get mad about nothing? Temptation. The second one is anger. Uh, yesterday, uh, I was flying home from Atlanta. I don't know if you've ever been to it, the Atlanta airport before, but I rented a car while I was in Atlanta. I was dropping off the rental car, and they always ask you that question. Do you want to return the car full of gas, or do you want to buy gas here? And you're like, I'll return it full. And so um, if you've never been to the Atlanta airport, it's in an inner city area. So the gas station that I went to, uh, when I walked out, I was like, this is not the woodlands. <laughs> uh, this is more like the side of town that I grew up on. I was like, this is interesting and uh, haven't been here in a while. I knew where I was at. Anyway, I, I pumped, I put the gas thing in the thing and hit unleaded. The cheapest gas goes in those rental cars. So uh, unleaded and I get in the car and I'm sitting down, I'm waiting for it to pump and I got my door open. And I'm looking ahead of me, and a a Honda Civic comes in and pulls in. And um, their headlights are like 10 feet away from the front door, and my car's getting uh, pumped with gas. This young girl, she looks like about 19, about 5'4", 5'5". She gets out of the car, and she comes around, and she opens up her trunk, and I'm just watching her. She opens up her trunk, and she's digging in there. Her boyfriend gets out of the car. He's not wearing a shirt. He's got tattoos all over him. And he's mad. And he's like this. He reaches in the car and he puts on a jacket. It's like a crop jacket, long sleeve crop jacket. And it was like um, a fur, like, a, like fox, like fox hair. And I was like, 97 degrees, but I ain't going to judge anybody. It's like fox hair. So he walks around, and he starts yelling at, this, at his girlfriend. She's just 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. She looks up at him, and he goes, <laughs> spits in her face. I lost it. I lost it. I jumped out of the car. And I said, don't ever spit in her face again. He turns around and looks at me and he says, you mind your 
blank, 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 blank business. And I'm like, here we go. I'm 42 years old. <laughs> here we go. So here I am. I'm standing here. He's standing there. Everyone's pulling out their phones. It's, there's nowhere to go from here. God stepped in. He said a few more words. He got into his car and drove off. As he was driving off, I saw in the back seat, there was a little baby chair and a baby in the back seat. She's stuck. For the next hour, you've felt it before. Burning. Thinking of everything I probably should have done in addition to what I did. Thinking of every statement I should have said. Should I have done more? Should I have not done anything at all? Should I have done more? And it was burning. And then I realized I have it in me. I have, I, the, the anger is in me. It's not outside of me. It is in me. It is consuming me. And all I'm doing is running through scenarios in my head. I should have said this. I should have said that. I should have said this. I should have said that. All I'm doing, all I'm doing. And, and it's in me. It's burning in me. And then I'm catching myself and I'm like, Frankie, you are a 42 year old father, a pastor of a church. If anything would have happened, they would have called the cops, put it on Facebook. What had happened was I thought there's no explaining this. We all know how difficult it is to be in this world to take a position in this world, but yet not let the world get inside of us. See, a boat does not sink because it is on the water. It sinks when the water gets in the boat. We are in the world, but when the world gets in us, we have begun to champion our own agenda. It is a scary thing in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, where it says this, you have started off in the spirit, but now you are trying to take matters in your own hands through the flesh. You started your relationship with God on your knees with your hands up. And then you're noticing situations around you. You've put your hands down and now you're dealing with it in the flesh. Let me ask you a question. Can we all be real honest? How much good have we done while we were angry? How much good have we done while our sensitivity has been so heightened? I was just talking to um, Isaiah and, and uh, forgot, who else was I talking to? Eddie in the back between services. And we were saying the sensitivity of everyone is so heightened right now. 
Because everything you say, it's what did you mean by that? What did you mean by that? What did you mean by that? Some of you are saying, oh, you're talking about racial issues. Yes, and. I'm talking about marriages. I'm talking about children. I'm talking about jobs. I'm talking about employers. Yes, I'm including races. We have a heightened sensitivity about everything. And you say, well, there's major issues going on. You can be 100% right about your position, but if you respond wrong, it mutes your position. If you respond wrong, the devil is at the wheel controlling you. There's a chapter, a verse in Matthew 24 that I want to share with you. I think it's chapter verse 10. Let's put it on the screen. Uh, yes, 24:10. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. This is a sign that the Lord is about to return when his own children are carrying offenses, offenses with our wives, offenses with politicians, offenses. I, I was just told that Build-A-Bear is taking the bear that has a police uniform off the shelves because it has a police uniform. Yosemite Sam, the cartoon, is being taken down because he carries guns. Is this really how we're going to stop the anger and the evil? Are we going to stop evil by taking down cartoons? Are we going to stop evil by taking down Build-A-Bears? Is this, is this what we're going to do? Is this part of our strategy? Is it part of our strategy to engage on Facebook? Let me just say, when you engage with people on Facebook and you're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, you are revealing more about yourself than you are them. Well, they're wrong and somebody's got to tell them. So you have nominated yourself as the person that's going to tell them. If you have a message to say, say it. But don't go around invalidating everybody else. This is what Jesus did. He preached and he preached loud. He preached and he preached loud. But he didn't go around telling Pilate and, and these people, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. It, even the Pharisees, when they tried to trap him, he just asked them simple questions and backed them into their own corner. Say what you have to say. S make a statement. Do a silent protest. Make your statement. But when you start getting angry and offended and mad, and what did you mean by that? And it gets in you. It's like a flood. We're all aware of, of hurricanes and floods. When floods come in, it doesn't just stop in one room. You can't just stay angry at a group of people because anger seeps into other rooms. And what ends up happening is you start getting angry at these people and these people and these people and these people. And now it's your family, and now it's your wife, and now it's this, and now it's the preacher, and now it's the pastor. And let me just say this. If you're going to weigh every word that everyone says, you're going to be disappointed with everyone. You have got to listen to their heart because words during this season fail us all. 
Temptation is how the devil throws us. Anger and offenses is how the devil throws us. We have seen more people out of the game because they couldn't control their temptations and they couldn't control their offenses. They're out of the game. In 1 Timothy, oh shoot, What's the, it's, it's up towards the top. It says that they have ship, their faith has been shipwrecked. I think it's in chapter two. Did, did I give that to you? All right. Yeah, did you find it? All right, put it up there. Speaking lies, and, uh, oh, no, it's the one before that. There it is. It's in chapter one, sorry. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience. Your conscience is the voice of the Holy Spirit. They deliberately violate it. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Do you know anybody whose faith is shipwrecked? Number three, spiritual indifference. It, it is a scary thing when people can take or leave church. It, it is a scary thing. I, I, know, I know you can have church online, and I want you, if you can't be here, I want you to be there. But it is a scary thing when your passion begins to drop when you look at the graph of your own life and you see that there were peaks in your past where your whole family was passionate about God, but it's not at that peak where you peaked in 1996, you peaked in 2014, but your passion level on a graph is much lower than it was in those days. And why is that? Because you got so tired of listening to the pastor say that and the church did that. And he did that, and they did that, and the the offense it just is right in your soul. And all of a sudden, Revelations chapter two, the church of Ephesus, where the Lord says, "I have seen all the good things that you have stand up, you have stood up for. You have even stood up against evil. But this is what I have against you: you have left your first love." If we want to fight like everyone else, we will be frustrated like everyone else. But if we fight on our knees before God, we will see victory. We will see victory over and over again. There will be victory in every area of your life. I've talked about William Seymour for three weeks straight, and you're just going to have to get used to it because he's a mentor in my life, even though he's been dead for over 100 years. That's what I love about the day and age that we live in. You can have anybody mentor you with the internet and the, and the books, and, and you just study everything they did. I have studied William Seymour till my eyes started twitching. Let me show you a picture of him. This is William Seymour. One of the reasons why I love him so much is he's a Houstonian. The great state of Houston. Found in the country of Texas. Los Angeles during uh, the early uh, 1900s, 1905, 1906, the Jim Crow era was at its height and racial tension was at its peak. And God 
moved William Seymour to Los Angeles in the heat of it all to pastor a church of about 12 people. It was Pastor Seymour and 12 other African-Americans. It was one of the only black churches in that area of Los Angeles. Racial tension was so high. His parents were slaves. They didn't know what to do. So they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And the power of God fell on their church on a street in Los Angeles called Azusa Street. And here William Seymour, who was blind in his right eye because of polio, the ridicule of racism from the, these evil white people. All of a sudden, God touches them and touches those 12 African-Americans. And what was the result of his outpouring of his spirit? It was the greatest revival or one of the greatest revivals in the history of our country. If you grew up Assemblies of God, it started in William Seymour's church. If you grew up Pentecostal, that started in William Seymour's church. There, it, it came from William Seymour's church. What am I trying to say? All the racial tension, all the economic problems that they were facing in 1906, all the family bitterness, everything that we deal with today, all of it was made perfect because the presence of God took care of it all. And a guy by the name of Bartleman, I forgot his first name, Bartleman, put his quote on the screen, will you? It says this, Frank Bartleman, I would forget his first name. <laughs> I remember the whole sermon, but I forgot his first name. Uh, the color line was washed away in the blood of Christ. See, there was a price to pay for revival. And those 12 African Americans were willing to pay that price. A.W. Tozer said, everyone can have as much of God as they want to have. I was... I have been craving an outpouring of God. I don't want to do church as usual. I've been preaching since I was 19 years old. If I never preach a message again, I'll be completely fine with that. Trust me, I'll be completely fine with it. What I want is the presence of God. And there's a price to pay for it. And I will pay it over and over and over again. I, there's nothing in my life more that means anything to me than praying for the presence of God. And so I felt like the Lord wanted, to have, wanted us to have three weeks of prayer meetings on Wednesday nights. And so last Wednesday was our first one. And the last time we had corporate prayer meeting was about four or five years ago. And two people showed up on a regular basis to pray with me. And so I'm like, God, if you want to do this, I'll do it. But you know what happened the last time. It just, it just didn't take Last Sunday, 107, last Wednesday, 175 people showed up, not for worship, not for preaching, not for life group, not for potluck, but to pray, to pray, to pray. 
I came, I came out of my office and I was walking down the hallway and I looked at Pastor Dwayne and I was like, what is everybody doing here? Don't they know we're here to pray? I was shocked. I could not believe it. And I came walking in and we had 20 minutes of worship and then an hour of prayer. And it was, this is coming from a Pentecostal. One of the, the greatest prayer meeting I've ever been in. There were people praying fervently in English over there, fervently in tongues over here, fervently in silence over here. See, fervency is not volume, it's intensity. Fervently standing up, fervently kneeling down, fervently. Why do you emphasize fervently? Look, I wouldn't emphasize it if the Bible didn't emphasize it. In James chapter, uh, what is it? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous, 516. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so I told everyone, look, if you're not going to pray fervently, then have a private devotion at home. This is a war room for the next hour. When was the last time you saw 175 people show up to pray? To pray. Why am I saying that? We didn't post that on Facebook. We didn't offer free Starbucks if you come pray. God is doing something in your hearts. He's doing something in this house and I don't want to tell you what it's going to look like because there's a 100% chance I'll be wrong. I don't know what he's doing. I've never seen him do anything like what he's doing right now. But if we continue to do what we're doing, broken family is going to come back together. Racial conciliation will be brought to peace and love. We will get lost in his presence and you will feel his presence like you feel the shirt on your back. If that's of interest to you, I'll see you Wednesday night. But some of you, that just sounds like chaos and you'd rather just stay home and pray and that's okay because the sound of your voice anywhere is a sweet sound of the Lord. Why do we have a prayer meeting? Because history is silent about revivals that were not started in a prayer meeting. God is doing something in your heart, otherwise you would not be here today. 50% of every church did not come back after COVID. But you you did. God's doing something in your life. Go ahead and stand up. I'd like the worship team to come down if they would. And I'd like the prayer partners to come down if they would. In Psalms 56, 9, everybody say Psalms 56, 9. One, two, three. All right, everybody this time. One, two, three. In Psalms 56, 9, it says, every time you pray, the tide of the battle turns. I don't know what battle you have. I don't know what battle you have. But every time you pray, the tide of the battle shifts. You did not come this morning thinking, I can't wait to see Frankie. (laughs) That thought never crossed your mind.
You came because you have a desperation for the presence of God. And he loves that about you. Before you leave, tell the Lord what you want. I'll encourage you to come down here and take the hand of a prayer partner. Pray with them. There's something powerful. The Bible says there's something powerful when two people are agreeing on one thing. Some of you have prayed for a lot of people, but you can't think of the last time anyone has ever prayed for you. Today, there's people down here that want to pray for you. There's no official dismissal. There's no official dismissal. You leave whenever you get ready. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and bring you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.